Okay, talking of children, got a picture of a young lad on the screen there. I want to talk this morning about growth requires change. Right across this nation, uh, in about a week's time, uh, thousands of children will be experiencing the change of starting a new class, probably with a new teacher. Uh, Our almost five-year-old granddaughter here in Southampton will be starting school for the first time. Uh, Our little granddaughter in Barcelona, Spain, she will be starting school. She'll be four and a half, five. Um, Our grandson, Joseph, that's Andrew and Claire's uh, youngest child, he did really well in his GCSEs and he'll be starting college in about a week's time learning all about motor racing. So that's interesting. And uh, it's a massive time of change for children and for teachers because uh, many teachers, and we've got a number here in the church, will of course be welcoming new children into their classrooms and that time of transition becomes very significant at this time of the year. I remember many years ago uh, the late Arthur Wallace saying that change is here to stay. Because we are living beings, change is inevitable. Just look at the person next to you. They might have a very wrinkled face. If they've got a very smooth face, I prophesy one day it will become wrinkled. We know because we are living, our bodies are constantly going through change. It's inevitable. Children don't wear out their clothes. They grow out of their clothes. And um, our, our children had hand-me-downs. Andrew did really well because he was the firstborn. So he got the new stuff. And then he would hand it on to Tim, the next child. And then Tim would hand it on to Daniel, who got the rough end of the deal because it was a bit worn out by then, but he didn't complain. He was a good lad. But we know what it's like in families. Hand-me-downs are really useful because our children don't wear them out. They grow out of their clothes. For a business to expand, it has to go through the process of change, change in structure, change in staffing, change in management, change in investment. And for a church to grow, it has to change. Now, that can be hard because most of us like what we get used to. We prefer comfort rather than upheaval. How many of you have moved house? Yeah, many of you have had that experience. It's all very exciting until the day comes when you have to pack everything up. And you find you've got far more stuff than you believed you ever had in your home. The upheaval is stressful, it's traumatic. It's a process that we don't welcome, but it's critical to change. And churches die because they resist change. The seven last words of a dying church are these, we've never done it this way before. It's rather sad that in this nation, Methodism is in a very serious situation. Methodist churches are closing all over the place. In Southampton, I can think of four Methodist churches that have closed and are being sold uh, for development, etc. If we resist change, 
we die. For a baby to be born, it has to leave the comfort of the womb and go through the painful process of change so that it can enter the world, it can breathe, it can grow, and it can ultimately reach maturity. All of us went through the painful process of the womb, but thankfully we don't remember it, but our mums do. But that change is critical if we are going to grow. A snake, in order to grow, has to shed its skin. Snake skin is not elastic like human skin. Wouldn't it be weird if we had to shed our skin, you know, every year? And you come into church looking as if you've been horrendously sunburned and all this skin is peeling off you. And you say, it's okay, I'm just growing. I'm going up to the next stage. Thankfully, we don't go through that mess. Our skin is elastic, it stretches. But for a snake, that will not happen. A snake must shed its skin so that it can grow. So I've got some important questions for us to ask and consider this morning. It's this. What do we need individually to shed in order that we might grow in our faith and walk with God? Question one. Question two. What does this church need to shed in order to increase in its size and its influence? One question is very personal, the other is corporate. But if we are going to grow, then there are things that we've got to shed, we've got to let go of, in order for God to increase, enlarge, and expand us. So will you go with me to Genesis chapter 32, and we're going to look at a very famous encounter in the Bible. Genesis 32, and I'm just going to read these few verses to you, reading out of the New Living Translation. Genesis 32, verse 22, during the night Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his eleven sons, and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent them over with all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he could not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? the man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. In order for Jacob to grow into the man that God intended him to be, he needed 
to change. Jacob in this passage here is well into his 70s when he wrestles with God. And I want to say to all of us this morning, it does not matter how old you are, how long you have been a Christian, how many mistakes you've made, how often you have messed up, we're never too old for God to change us. If you think you've arrived as a Christian, then you've got another thing coming. God has not finished with you yet. The reason you are not in heaven today is because God has not finished working on you. And there is an ultimate plan that God has for each and every one of us, and Paul tells us it's simply this, that Christ will be fully formed or developed in you. Do you know what a Christian is? He or she is a little Christ. It's from that word Christianus, which literally means a little Christ. And that is God's ultimate purpose, his plan. He wants to constantly change and transform us so that we become more and more like Jesus. And do you know what the Bible says? When we get into heaven and we see Jesus, it says we will be like him. So that means that God would have finished the process of fully developing Christ in every one of us. If the snake needs to shed its skin to grow, what did Jacob need to shed? What did he need to let go of in order to grow into a new man? Let me just share some things that I've seen in this passage we've just read. First of all, he needed to repent of his history. The Bible makes it very, very clear that to have a right relationship with God requires repentance of our personal history. Now, in some church circles today, there is a message which has replaced repentance. It simply says, you know, God is merciful, God is forgiving, come to him and everything will be fine. That is a misrepresentation of the scriptures. People don't preach on repentance because, well, it might offend. It might upset. And we don't want to upset people if they come to church. We want to give them something that sounds nice. So we want them to know that God is very kind and loving and gentle and and he will welcome you. That is true. But if you and I want to have a relationship with God, we must allow him to deal with our history through our repenting. John the Baptist, he came preparing the way for Jesus. And this is what he taught. He said John went from place to place preaching that people should be baptised to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Jesus sent the disciples out two by two and they went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And on one occasion... Jesus said to a crowd who had asked why Pilate had murdered a lot of Galileans, and Jesus simply said to this crowd, he said, don't think that those Galileans were worse sinners than you. You will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And that famous passage in the book of Peter where it simply says, that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that everyone should come to a point of repentance. 
You see, we all have history. From the moment we are born, we start to write the history of our lives. And we've all got stories. That's what life is all about. And Jacob had a lot of bad history that he needed to repent of or turn away from. Let me just remind you of a few things. He had, first of all, stolen his brother's birthright. He had stolen his brother's blessing. He had lied to his father. He had robbed his father-in-law of sheep and goats and flocks. He had become incredibly rich. This man Jacob didn't hesitate to cheat in order to better himself. If he was alive today, he would be robbing pension funds. That's the kind of guy he would be. And we all hear of these people who folks, you know, trust their money with for their pension and then they squander it and misappropriate it. This is the kind of guy Jacob was. He would cheat, he would swindle, he would lie, he would deceive, he would do anything to better himself. True repentance is painful because it requires closing the door on a way of life that has been selfish and self-seeking. I need to ask a question today. Is there history in your life that you have not repented of? You see, your past will imprison you. It will stop you knowing God. It will stop you growing in God unless you repent. And the wonderful good news of the Bible is that if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, washes away our sin. But we've got to come to that point of repentance. We've got to come to that point to say, God, I I am so sorry, I regret, I'm asking for your mercy and your forgiveness. I want to turn away from those things of my past. In the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, there are seven great churches there. They were all in the region of Turkey and, and they were super churches. They really were. But God came to each and every one of them and to six of them, he told them they needed to repent. Even though they were doing good stuff, even though they were very commendable in many ways, but he told them, one of them, he said, you need to repent because you've lost your first love. You don't love me as much as you once did. Think back to the day when you first came to know Jesus. When you came to know of his forgiveness and his love for you. You fell in love with him. Do you love him as much today as you did then? This church needed to repent because they'd lost their first love. That often happens in marriage. Couples fall in love and, and they're all over each other. And then as the years pass, somehow something spoils it. And they don't love each other as much as they did. That's tragic. Last Sunday, Janice and I celebrated 51 years of marriage. 
And I can honestly say I love Janice more today than when I first met her. And I know she loves me more. Now, it's, it's nice of you to applause, but that's what a good marriage is all about. And many of you can testify to the same. When first love dies, something goes wrong. And this church needs to repent. God said, you have lost your first love. Another church needed to repent because they'd embraced false teaching. Another one of the churches needed to repent because they got involved in sexual sin. Another church needed to repent because, well, it was spiritually asleep. And another one of the churches needed to repent because God says, you are lukewarm, you make me sick. You see, you can live a Christian life that all looks wonderful and rosy, but actually there can be secret sins going on. And it creates and messes up your life. We could say, I need to repent of not tithing. I know I often talk about tithing. It's a bit of an ouch subject, isn't it? But do you give a tenth of your income to God? If not, why not? Some people need to repent of being unforgiving. Some people need to repent of a lack of integrity in the way that they live their lives. These are things that can affect every single one of us. You know, we can all be sorry for our past or sorry that we got found out. But that's not repentance. This is what the Bible says repentance is. Repentance is the kind of sorrow that God wants that leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, you're sorry for being found out, it lacks repentance and it results in spiritual death. So if Jacob was going to grow into the man that God wanted him to do, the first thing was necessary to repent of his history. The second thing that he needed to do was to renounce his identity. Because as he wrestled with God, God said to him, you will no longer be called Jacob. God was literally wrestling this man's identity out of him, literally crucifying the identity that had labelled Jacob for all of his life. God needed to put to death his name, put to death his nature, so that he could become the man that God wanted him to be. And as I said a moment ago, Jacob means cheat, swindler, supplanter, deceiver. When he was born, he came out of the womb, he was a twin, he came out of the womb after his brother Esau, and he was holding on to his heel. As if to say, I'm going to get stuff from you. Even at birth, he was reaching out for something. And Hosea actually prophesying the judgment of God hundreds and hundreds of years later in the Old Testament, he uses the analogy of Jacob as a word against the people of Judah. And this is what he says. Now the Lord is bringing a charge against Judah. He is about to punish Jacob for all of his deceitful ways and pay him back for all that he has done. Even in the womb, Jacob struggled with his brother. When he became a man, he fought with God. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and won. He wept and pleaded for a blessing from him. There at Bethel, he met God face to face and God spoke to him. A beautiful nutshell description 
of the life of this man, Jacob. You see, identity is important to each and every one of us. We're given identity at birth. Our parents choose a name for us. Whether you like the name your parents chose or not, that's the name that the majority of us live with for the rest of our lives. And that name is a form of identity. And very often the meaning of our names can become indicative of our nature and behaviour. If you don't know what your name means, look it up. But you know, Jesus promises to give us a new identity. You don't have to be labelled in a particular way because in Christ you are somebody new. Scripture says if anyone is in Christ then he or she is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. We get a new identity in Jesus. Peter says that once, now you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own possession. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's own people. Once you received no mercy, but now you've received God's mercy. And Paul also tells us that there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ. We don't have to live with a label that says we're a failure. We don't have to live with a label that keeps speaking of our mistakes. We don't have to live with a label that speaks of our old nature and the things that we wished had never happened in our lives in the past. We can be set free. We can be healed. We can be redeemed from that past because in Christ we can become new people. That's the promise. And as Jacob wrestles with God, you know, his old nature still lingers on. Because he's now saying, God, now that I've got you, I want something from you. Because the man of God says, let me go. The dawn was coming. Let me go. But Jacob says, no, now I've got you. I'm going to get something from you. That, that old nature, that grasping, grabbing nature was still there. But what he wanted this time was going to change his life. It was the blessing of God. We often use the term, God bless you. We sometimes minimise the blessing of God. But the blessing of God is powerful. It is life-changing. And when you live under the blessing of God, you become an extraordinary man or an extraordinary woman. Listen to what we heard just read to us a few moments ago. That God blesses people who seek to live a life of um, righteousness and following him. God blesses those who are humble. God blesses those who are merciful. God blesses those who have pure hearts. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God blesses those who work for peace. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. See, when you live that kind of a life, you live under the blessing of God. And Jacob needed to be changed so that he could live a life that flowed with the blessing of God. I want to say to you this morning, if you want the blessing of God upon your life, then fight for it. Jacob fought for it. Jacob wrestled with it. Jacob said, God, I need you to change me. 
God, I need to live under your blessing, not live under my self-centered way of life. I need to be a different man from now on, and I'm not going to let you go until your blessing falls upon me. What a place to be, to live under the blessing of God. I want to say fight for it. Maybe in your workplace there are challenges going on right now. Maybe within family relationships there are challenges. Maybe people are wanting you to lower your standard, to live a standard that pleases everybody else. I want to say don't do that. Fight for the blessing of God. Live under the blessing of God. Stand for the blessing of God upon your life. So his name is changed to Israel. Israel literally means to contend or to wrestle with God, to struggle with God. We're all called to walk with God. Paul says, let us keep in step with the Holy Spirit. At times that is hard. But I want to tell you, if at times it's a struggle, it is okay, because often in that struggle, God is working his change out in you. It's not all easy sailing. Sometimes God allows us to go through difficult experiences simply so that he can change and shape us and increasingly make us more like Jesus. God will gladly wrestle anything out of your life that prevents his blessing. So allow him to have his way. Okay, as I wrap this up this morning, just one final thing. So he needed to repent of his history, he needed to renounce his identity, but finally, he needed to relinquish his self-sufficiency. Because the scripture says here in Genesis, Jacob left Peniel and he was limping. The last time that Jacob saw his brother Esau, Esau had vowed to kill him because he'd robbed him of his father's blessing. So Jacob runs away to his uncle, but now he is preparing to meet Esau again after many, many years of not seeing him. And he's scared because he knew that his brother said, I'll kill you the next time I see you. So so what does he do? He tries to fix the situation. He creates a sweetener or or something to appease his brother. And if you look at the scriptures, he sends ahead of him 550 animals. What a herd. Goats, camels, donkeys, sheep. The road must have been a mess as they walked along. But actually, in biblical times, that was currency. So he was sending literally a small fortune ahead of him to appease his brother's anger lest his brother throttle him when he sees him. Church and personal growth comes when we learn to limp. What do I mean by that? It's when our dependency becomes on God and not on ourselves. Lots of churches resort to many gimmicks to try and build church. But Jesus said, I will build my church. New Life Church Winchester doesn't belong to any one of us. It belongs to Jesus. And he is building his church as we seek him first, as we are faithful, as we serve him as we live out the truth of the gospel.
And Jacob had to relinquish his dependency on himself. He had to relinquish this idea that I can do it, I can fix it, I can solve this problem. I can be my own man. A friend of mine, Simon Alton, said, an authentic man or woman of God will always walk with a limp after, gen- after a genuine encounter with God. And the Bible says that we have to walk humbly with God. Not proudly, humbly. Anything that has pride about it will eventually fall. There's a lot of stuff in our nation that is labelled as pride. We have pride marches. But anything that is of pride will eventually fall. Because the Bible says God resists the pride, the proud, but he welcomes the humble. And we are called to walk humbly with God, not to say, I can do it in my own strength, but to say, God, I need you. I'm nothing without you. And in fact, Jesus said, or the psalmist said, actually, that uh, he leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his way. And Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Don't think you're okay on your own. He said that to his disciples. Without me, you are useless. Paul says, when we are weak in Christ, then we are strong. You see, in God's kingdom, the way up is always down. And I want just to read you a few verses out of the New Testament as I close in Philippians. Paul says, you must have the same attitude that Christ had. Though he was God, He didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honour. Gave him a name that's above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In God's kingdom the way up is always down. So my final question this morning is this. What skin do you need to shed today in order to grow in your walk with God. Will you stand with me as we just conclude in prayer? Maybe for some of you, you've been reminded of history this morning that you've never repented of. Maybe there's somebody you need to write a letter of apology to. Maybe there's something that's been bugging you for a long, long time and it won't go away and it needs dealing with. God is merciful. God is gracious. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And maybe there's some history that you've not repented of. Don't resist it any longer. Come to that place where you humble yourself. Maybe there's some identity, some label that you carry 
that needs to change. Let Jesus change you because for all of us, we want to grow to become more and more like Jesus. Maybe you've relied too much on your own ability rather than resting in God's ability. So Father, we want to grow. We know we cannot stand still because if we stand still and are static, we become stagnant. Lord, I know you want this church to grow, each of us individually, but corporately. And Lord, we may need to shed skins. We may need to let go of stuff. Will you show us by your Holy Spirit so that nothing holds us back from becoming the people that you want us to be so that we can rise effectively as your church and bring your gospel to those who have yet to hear. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.